0: This term, we're going back to Genesis. If you are around last term, you'll know we were in Genesis. We're going back there. And uh, we have a new series, um, Genesis 5 to 11. Um, and we call it Footsteps of Faith. And before you turn to Genesis 5, can you just make a stop at Hebrews 11? Um, Hebrews 11, it's at page 1209. 1209. I just want to show you why we've called this series um, Footsteps of Faith. So 1,209. I'm not going to read all of this now, but we're going to come back to this several times, this term. In Hebrews 11, we're told about some heroes of faith. We're given examples of people who've trusted God and lived by faith. And we're given those examples so that we can follow them so that we can work out what does it mean for us to walk in faith. And interestingly, the first example we're given in verse 4, the first human example, is Abel. The next example in verse 5 is Enoch, who we're going to read about today. The next one is Noah, who we're going to spend the next few weeks thinking about. And the one after that is Abraham. Therefore, when, when the person who wrote Hebrews... Thought about Genesis 5 to 11, the bits we're going to read. His reaction was, these are people who live by faith that we're to walk in their footsteps. We're to follow these people. So that's why we called it Footsteps of Faith. That's what's going on in that chapter. Now, come back to Genesis 5. And you'll see that what we have today um, is a genealogy, a family tree, a list of names. Next week, we're going to get to the story of the flood and the ark and the is it, you know, big story, amazing stuff going on. Today, we've got a list of names. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, the first thing we're supposed to do with it is ask God that he speak to us. The next thing we're supposed to do is read it. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to read. Because we believe that all of the Bible is God's word, every bit. And therefore, this chapter is just as important as Noah and his ark. So let's pray, and then we're going to read. Father, please, would you help us now? We ask that you would speak to us from your word. Father, this strange chapter to our ears, would you help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm going to read it, and I've got a question for you to think about as I read it. Does this chapter make you feel happy or sad? Now, you're not allowed at the end of this chapter to go, it doesn't make me feel anything. It needs to make you feel one or the other. Even if you only have the tiniest little oop of anything, I need to know whether you're leaning slightly sad or slightly happy. You ready? That's your little game to play while I read. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh, and he became the father of, after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years. And then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. Feel free to join in. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years. When Enoch could look very good, you very quick. When Enoch could live 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Yeah. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years. When Lamech had lived 882 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Aren't you glad I didn't ask you to do the reading? So what do you make of it? Happy or sad? Well, it all depends on what you hear. You see, that it all depends on whether you focus more on the beginnings or the endings. Beginnings give us hope. Endings make us sad. And Genesis is a book full of beginnings. That's what the name Genesis means. So we have the beginning of creation, the beginning of humanity. And Genesis 5 recounts the beginning of many, many lives. Now, if you emphasize that, it's a profoundly joyful chapter, isn't it? If you emphasize that rhythm, then there's great joy to be found here. He became the father of. He became the father of. He became the father of. Do you feel the rhythm? It's the rhythm of life. Every baby cry that pierced the air is hope to the world. This is joyful. The first breath, as lungs fill, as the heart starts to beat, as blood starts to pump, and the baby cries into the world. This is wonderfully joyful this is life life marches on and wrapped up in every child that is born there is so much potential so much hope so much promise he became the father of he became the father of what joy but for every beginning there's an ending and endings make us sad we know that every good thing must come to an end, but that doesn't make it easier, does it? And if you emphasize that rhythm, well, then it's a profoundly sad chapter. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. The baby who let out its first cry of the world one day breathes his last. The heart stops. And life is over. So what do you have? What is this chapter? It is a chapter of beginnings and endings. And what do you see? Do you see joy or sorrow? Well, I want to suggest that the wise person, the person who lives by faith, will learn to see both. And will learn to live in a world with a right view of beginnings and endings. And in one sense in this chapter, there's kind of an ongoing competition between the beginnings and the endings, an ongoing battle, and we're caught up in the middle of that. Every beginning is matched by an ending. And as soon as we see that, Genesis 5 is going to help us to walk through this world rightly. It will keep us from the dark pessimism as we see God, the God of beginnings, bringing new life, and it will keep us from naive optimism as we see the reality of death. That's what this chapter is here for. So I want us to unpack those two themes from Genesis chapter 5. We're going to th- start by thinking about beginnings. And this is the, supposed to be the joyful bit. So seriously, you, gotta, we gotta, you have to work hard to be joyful in this bit because um, we're going to do endings in a minute. But just as a heads up, just as a a spoiler, there is great hope at the end because in this battle between beginnings and endings one of them wins anyway let's go back to beginnings look at verse 1 and 2 we're going to work our way through it now you can look at what the text says that's what we do we're not trying to make this up we want to see what it actually says in verses 1 and 2 we have a recap okay it's got to Genesis 5 you might have forgotten what's happened so far you've had christmas so the writer's given you a recap told you what's happened just as a reminder And we have the beginning of humanity. Now I know this is going over stuff we did last term, but it's repeated in Genesis because we're so prone to forget it. Humanity was created by God. The Bible states it again and again and again. You are created by God. Your beginning is found in God. That is who we are. It is fundamental to the whole worldview that lies behind the Bible. Humanity begins in the creative act of God. Do you know, we're so ready to act as if we came out of nowhere. We're so ready to attribute our existence to anyone or anything other than God. But the Bible will not let us do that. It relentlessly bangs the drum. You were made by God, He created you. That's where humanity finds its beginning. Have you ever, have you ever watched a film and you, you missed the start, you missed the first few minutes? and uh, you, you, something really important happened in those first few minutes, and then the rest of the film just makes no sense at all because you missed the start. It's like watching a film when my granny was alive. She, she just couldn't re- quite remember what had happened, and she'd be like, who's he? Who's she? Why are they doing that? And you're like, granny, just give up. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, the start really matters. If you don't understand the start, you're never going to make sense of the film if you don't know what happened at the start. That's what human life's like. You're never going to understand what human life is all about if you don't know where it came from, if you don't know where it all started. It begins with God. People claim that you can find the meaning of life by just looking at the present. That is patently untrue. Where you come from shapes everything about what you think you are. It has to. How can you not care where you came from? How can you not question your origin? Humanity begins God, and you cannot rightly understand humanity without understanding God. It shapes everything about life. And when God created humanity, look at verse 1 again. He made humanity in God's likeness. Unlike anything else in creation, humanity exists to put God on display, to reflect God to this world. We are like God. That was the job God gave humanity to do. He made us male and female. That was our beginning. Together, man and woman, equal before God, equally in God's image. Both created, distinct and yet equal and joyfully to reflect God to the world. This is who we are. And to enjoy God's blessing, God blessed them. We have a glorious beginning. This is the joyful bit, yeah? Yeah? I know you're hiding the smiles and joy, but that's okay. The human race traces its origin back to here, but what do you make of verse three? What does verse three mean? When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. What do you make of that? Adam was made in the image of God. Adam has a son, and now Seth is made in Adam's image, in Adam's likeness. You may say, I don't get the big deal. Well, here's the big deal. Between verses 2 and verse 3, a catastrophic event happened. You don't just smoothly glide from verse 2 to verse 3. Something massive happened. Humanity ignored God's good command and chose, rather than walking alongside God, they chose to walk away from him. They chose to go their own way. Now, actually, God, we think we'll walk this way. Not content with the privilege to bear God's likeness, instead they tried to take his place. And so punishment entered the world. Death entered. Humanity was driven away. Now Adam is going to die. And then we're told that he lived 130 years and had a son. Do you see? Not yet. Yes, he's going to die. The punishment is going to come. But not quite yet. He lives 130 years, has a son. Then he has another 800 years. Altogether, lives Adam lives 930 years. That's a long, that's a long time. Punishment is going to come. But God is patient. God's not finished with humanity. God has still got a plan. Despite humanity walking away, God still has a plan. There were more beginnings to come. A baby cry. A baby called Seth. And every child that is born is born by God's hand, just as Adam was cre- created by God. So is every baby that's ever been born. The psalmist later on in Psalm 139 can say, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. God, it was you who made me. God is still in the process of making babies. God is still in the process of bringing new life, of beginnings. But what does it mean that Seth is in the likeness and image now of Adam? Is that a good thing or not? What do you think? Is that supposed to be positive? Yay, I'm in the likeness of Adam. Or, oh, I'm in the likeness of Adam. How, how are we supposed to read that? Well, let's trace it back. Adam is in the likeness and image of God. Seth is in the likeness and image of Adam. So, yes, Seth continues to bear the image of God that God placed in Adam. The image of God, this likeness, precious likeness of God that Adam bore is inherited by his son. It's passed down to him. It's not diluted. Seth inherits the image of God. You know how you sometimes inherit stuff from your your parents? You know, your dad's got a big nose. I've got a big nose. So my kids have a big nose. I'm bald. They're bald. You know, that sort of thing. Adam's image of God. Seth's image of God. You know, that sort of thing it's passed down. That's how it works. And so there's this wonderful truth that Seth is not created in some different thing. He's still in the line of Adam and Adam's in the image of God and therefore Seth still bears the image of God. I want to impress this upon you. When you think about Beginnings, every newborn baby is created in the image and likeness of God. It is passed on to them by their parents. Sam and Bethan have passed on the image of God to baby Hannah. Isn't that cool? Hannah's here. She's very new. What a precious, precious thing. And can I say, this is what drives so much of the basic morality and ethics of the bible why are human beings precious all of them because we're equally created in the image of god there's not one person in this room who cannot trace the image of god back through their parents all the way back all the way back to adam to god That means your value does not come on your achievement or on somehow attaining value by your performance. Your value comes because of your beginning. Now, without such a clear understanding of our beginnings, we find the equality of human beings very difficult to maintain. Can I say this is why so many ethical questions today people find so difficult to answer. When does a baby become a human? When does a human become a person? What do you have to have to qualify as a person? And some would say, well, you have to have a a cognitive awareness. That somehow validates you as a person because you've achieved this cognitive ability. You've got to be able to sustain life on your own. Who says? Why? What about... All life has value. All life right from conception because God begins it and because God has put his image. This is why the Bible says that all children, all babies, are born in the image of God and in his likeness. It is why we are against abortion because the Bible is pro-life. Profoundly pro-life. Now I realize that for some of us that may be a very raw subject and there is massive grace and there's massive healing and there's massive forgiveness and if this is an issue that's a big one for you, I encourage you to talk to someone about it. You don't have to, and maybe that you have done things in the past that you feel deeply guilty of, you don't have to carry that guilt, there is forgiveness, there is absolute forgiveness. But we must be clear on life and the beginnings and the evidence of the grace of God. So I hope we value life. I hope we treasure life. I hope we find life to be joyful. Not our experience of life necessarily. Don't hear me wrongly. But every new life that comes means God is not finished. Yet I don't think that's all that we can say about verse 3. Do you not know, think that there's also some poignancy in those words? When Adam had lived 130 years, had a son in his own likeness, and in his own image. Yes, Adam is in the likeness of God, but Adam has walked away from God, Adam has walked his own way, and he is now dying. He now lives in a body that is prone to sin. He lives in a body that's decaying. And he's passed that on to his son. Seth is like his old man. He inherits the image of God, but he also inherits a body that's dying. And he inherits a body that's prone to sin. He bears the image of his father. He doesn't get to start back where Adam started. He doesn't get to go back to the garden and have another go. No, he and every child born since is born with an inherited sinful nature. Now that is why every child grows up to therefore do sin. Because that is what is in us. Because of Adam. Now this has been a hotly debated topic over the years in church. Okay? This is We're in quite deep theology waters here. Some have tried to argue that children do not inherit a sinful nature. That children are sort of born good. It's a little baby. I remember once when our first baby was born... Um, I showed a picture of him like five minutes old to the youth group and said, he's already a sinner. And they all burst into tears and hated me. Like, how can you say he's so mean looking at me, calm, he's a sinner. What I mean was that he's not born with a heart that is good and loves God. He's born with a heart that is set against God. That's its default. Now, a man called, um, if you want a little bit of church history, if you're not interested, you switch off for a second. But a man called Pelagius came along. Right? He was a teacher in the early church. And he was concerned that people were using inherited sin as an excuse just to get away with him. Well, I can't help it. It's in my genes, right? <laughs> got it from my dad. I've got a bad temper because dad's got a bad temper. It's not my fault. So he argued that children are born good and that every child has the opportunity... He argued against this. And the church gathered together to thrash this out. What is this right? Is he right? And they said, no, Pelagius is a, is a heretic. He's wrong. The Bible teaches that all children are created in the image of Adam. That is, we're all born with an inherited sinful nature. And that's why all the beginnings in Genesis 5 have endings. And the endings are Sad. Adam stands at the head of humanity, we all bear his likeness, in Adam we all die. And that's the second major reality of Genesis 5, every beginning has an ending. Do you remember, if you were here back in chapter 3, the serpent came, said to the woman, you're not going to die, he's a liar. He's a liar, the serpent was a liar. Death comes because we walk away from God. We walk into a world of death, not of life. Death entered our world, and death is the great ending. Do you see this week, Andy Murray's tennis career is finished. Endings are sad. I mean, Andy Murray seemed sad. He was crying. And it was, people were talking, I mean, people talked like he was dead. Andy Murray, I just want to thank you for all the memories. Oh, memories you've given us are so just, and they had, and they showed all the clips. They had a clip of him when he was fourteen. This is Andrew Murray. Could he be a future Wimbledon champion? So much hope in the beginning, right? And there he is, sobbing his little heart out, crying. It's over. I can't play anymore. He's only thirty-one. How does it make me feel, right? It's very insensitive and thoughtless. But we struggle with endings, and and um. Do you see Billy Connolly? He's been in the news. There's very few things I can quote of Billy Connolly, uh, if you know him. He's not got the greatest language. But he'd done a kind of quite reflective article somewhere about the fact, he said, my life is slipping away. He's 71. He's got a little bit more grounds to go on. Um, My life is slipping away. I'm nearly dead, sort of thing. And everyone went, oh, Billy, you're really depressing us. And so he made a video. Do you want to see his little video? Of course you do. You can't believe that we're going to watch a video clip, but we are. It's only 20 seconds long. Don't blink or you miss it. This is your reaction. When people said, Oh, Billy, don't depress us, this is what he did. that's it. That's all our world's got to say about death. I'm dying, I'm slipping away, I'm getting old. Oh, we don't like that. Okay, not dead, not dying, not slipping away. What? What kind of nonsense world is this? A world that can't face up to reality of death. A world that talks about death. A world that talks about um, bucket lists. And we know we're going to die. And I've got a bucket list. I need to do the stuff on the bucket list. And people in their 20s have got a bucket list. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? And then... And then you get, um, slightly more tragic, you get um, poems like this, right? So at lots of funerals, this will be read. Death is nothing at all. It does not count. I've only slipped away into the next room. Nothing has happened. Everything remains exactly as it was. I am I and you are you. And the old life that we lived so fondly together is untouched, unchanged. It's not true. It's not true that death is nothing at all. You know it's not true. It hurts, and it hurts like hell, and it hurts so much because it's not right. And for every joy, every tear shed in joy at the birth of a baby, there are tears shed in sorrow at the grave of a corpse. Do you not understand? This is it. This is what Genesis 5 is showing us. And the Bible doesn't say, don't get a banjo and sit on a beautiful boat and sing about the fact you're not dying that's nonsense the wise person will realize beginnings and endings the wise person will live in the light of both they will not ignore their beginning, they'll acknowledge that they come from the creator, they will not ignore their ending but then just as we finish in Genesis 5 not you again there's something different And you notice this because you didn't have anything to say when it came to Enoch. So have a look at at Enoch with me. You get this repeated rhythm. So-and-so lives, they have children, they live some more years, they die. That, 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 die. But not Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. It's supposed to say, and then he died. That's how it goes. But instead it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. So where's Enoch gone? And this Enoch, he tips Genesis chapter 5 into the joy category, not the sorrow. Because this Enoch means that there are more beginnings than there are endings in Genesis chapter 5. And that means there's hope. Now you might say to me, well, hang on a second, Enoch, perhaps it's just a... Different way. Perhaps the writer was just getting bored of writing, Andy died. And he died. Oh, I'm bored of this. God took him away. No, no, no. There's something very different going on here. And if you come um, to Hebrews chapter 11, let's go and look exactly what it says about Enoch in, in Hebrews 11. Very explicit for us. Hebrews chapter 11, page 1209. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. There it is. It couldn't be clearer. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who was pleased God. Can you imagine that day? He's only been around 300 and something years. He's spring chicken. <laughs> Everyone goes, where's Enoch? Anyone seen Enoch? Do you not think they kind of... He says, where's... I haven't seen him. At some point they're going to go, I wonder what happened to... Whatever happened to Enoch? And Enoch, in an extraordinary way, bypasses death. He doesn't have an end. He's taken away. His life on earth is finished, but he's taken round death to something else. And it's there in Genesis 5 as a sort of tantalizing, sort of, whoa, hang on a second. Can you imagine the little Jewish kids reading Genesis 5? Then he died, then he died, then he died. Oh, Enoch. is there any chance that there's some way out of this beginning and end, beginning and end, beginning and end? Because it seems to me from Genesis 5 that the endings get defeated by the beginnings. And we discover that Enoch experienced life without death. Life without end. Now, how did he pull that off? Well, we're told back in Genesis 5, he walked faithfully with God. He walked faithfully with God. Now, remember, Enoch did inherit Adam's sinful nature. So he was still, had a tendency to walk away from God. He was still brought up in that way. He still sinned. But there was a point in Enoch's life, and we don't know when, but when Enoch stopped walking away from God and turned back to him. And he walked with God. Isn't that a beautiful description? He walked faithfully. We're not told that Enoch kind of kept the rules, obeyed everything, did, lived a good life. We're told he walked with God. That is what you were made for, to walk with God, to be in relationship. Walking with someone is a relational word, isn't it? If you go for a walk with someone, you're not expecting to just kind of opposite sides of the street and ignore each other. It's a relationship. In fact, back in the old days, when two people started dating, they said, oh, they're walking out together. (laughs) It's very sweet. And uh, it's a great description. It's a relational thing. You were made to walk with God. Enoch walked faithfully. That is, he didn't walk in his own direction, doing what he wanted. Instead, he walked in worship. He walked in love. He walked in obedience. He was faithful to God. Enoch walked with God. And because of that, he was taken past death to life forever. And we go, well, bully for Enoch. Happy old Enoch. Lucky him. Who cares? But well, Enoch is there to show us there is a way. And I don't know if you were listening earlier, I'm assuming you were to Phil when he was talking about the bread of life. Did you notice that in, when Jesus talked about the bread of life, he talked about if you eat this bread, you will never go hungry again. Do you know that never is a word that has no ending, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing word that has no ending. Jesus uses loads of those sorts of words. Forever, eternal. You will never be hungry. Jesus is able to do something forever. He claims that he has the power to do it. Because Enoch, walking with God faithfully, is pointing us forward to Jesus who comes and walks faithfully with God. He lived the human life. He walked Faithfully, you go, hey, he's going to avoid death as well. But he doesn't. He ends up dead on a cross. You go, well, why is that? Well, because Jesus came to deal with the ending. And what Jesus does with death is he drills a massive great hole through it. And he comes out the other side. He rises from the dead. And he's alive forever and ever and ever. And because he's alive, what if he's the one who can get you through death? Jesus died the death that you deserve. He rose to life in order to give you life forever. And so the simple, simple question from Genesis chapter 5 is are you walking with him? Are you walking with him? Some of you this afternoon will be walking your own way, saying, no, I'm not walking with Jesus. I want to walk my own way. I'll go my own way. That's the way Adam lived. That's the way that leads to death. To walk your own way is the way that leads to death. And I urge you, I plead with you this afternoon to turn, to come back, to look to Jesus and to walk with him to live with him to live in worship and wonder and love and obedience to him to admit you've gone wrong and to ask him to give you life i beg of you to do that this afternoon but there'll be others here who'd say yeah, yeah i'm a christian i'm a christian but actually you're walking away from him now there's an area of your life where you're walking away from jesus Enoch walked faithfully with God. And this afternoon, God is calling us back. Come walk with me. Walk with me. Live in relationship with me. Worship me. Love me. Trust me. And perhaps this afternoon, God is calling some of you back. He's saying, walk back. Come back. Come walk with me. Because all who are in Jesus will live forever. Through death. Like Enoch, we may have to experience death, but like Enoch, to life forever. So Genesis 5 is joyful because the beginnings outweigh the endings. The Bible is joyful because the beginnings outweigh the endings. What about your life? Joyful? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that your word doesn't kind of just sugarcoat this world and tell us that everything's okay and we should smile and play ukulele and sing silly songs. Thank you that your word faces up to the reality. Thank you for the joy there is in every new life, every beginning. Father, we recognize the sorrow there is in every ending. But Lord, we ask that we might discover what Enoch discovered and that we might walk faithfully with you. In Jesus' name, amen.